This is Harold Schechter, and you're listening to the Mike Sappho Podcast. Cheers, my friend. Good seeing you. Thank you for coming on again. My pleasure. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, retired now. So. Oh, you're retired? Yeah. Are you still a doctor? Can we still call you Dr. Harold Schechter? <laughs> well, you can. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that never retires. But. Well, I'm going to have to make you repeat a story, and it sucks. That's why usually when a guest comes in, I love going right to the podcast. Okay. So, have you been traveling anywhere lately? Oh, um, <laughs> yes. Well, let's see. Um, yeah. Well, my wife and I were in Hawaii, and we were actually there for the b- big ballistic missile scare. <laughs> Um, you know, we had just gotten, uh, finished our breakfast, which for a while I thought was going to be my last breakfast. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, getting ready actually to catch a plane. We were in, uh, on, in Honolulu getting ready to catch a plane from Maui in a couple hours. And my phone made this weird, scary sound. And I looked down and there's this message that there was a ballistic missile heading for Hawaii. Um, and it says, this is not take shelter. This is not a drill. So, uh, you know, you f- start feeling this chill inside. Um, uh, you know, you figure you got like 15 minutes to live or whatever. Uh, so, um, and as I was telling you before, I, I sort of blamed myself directly. Because um, <laughs> I had spent the last week contacting everybody I know and sending them pictures showing us what a great time we had. So I was figuring this was payback. Um, uh, but anyway, but yeah, but after about 40 minutes, it turned out to be a false alarm. So, you know, that uh, that worked out okay. And just tell me the one funny part when the, with the blinds when you guys... Oh, yeah. So, you know, so 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 I take my cell phone down to the uh, to the front desk and I show it to the person there. And I said, have you seen this? And she says, yeah, just go back up to your room, which um, I didn't think was <laughs> that, that great an advice. advice. So I got my wife, so we're going to go down to the basement. But on our way... Uh, we saw a security guy herding people into an elevator, so we followed him. And he put us put us in this second-floor conference room, and his advice was we should close the blinds. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyway. Yeah. But you're here now. Yeah, you're here now. It all worked out. Yeah, all's well that ends well. So. And you did it again. You knocked it out of the park with another book. Well, thank you. And I, and I mean that. Um, I actually just moved from a few blocks away to Astoria. Uh-huh. And as I'm packing my books, I've had like, you know, 150 books on my bookshelf. Yep. I think seven or eight are from you. Wow, that's great. Thanks. And um, yeah, but it, you knocked it out of the park again with this book. Thank you. So let's do the obligatory plug. Okay. Hell's yep. Princess, The Mystery of Bell Gunness. That's how you pronounce it, right? Gunness? Yep. Butcher of Men. Yes. And here's why you're my favorite author. And I tell you this. Yep. And I, like I said, I have on, I think I told you last time, athletes and celebrities and everybody. Yeah. But I like fan, and I'm the biggest sports guy, but I fanboy out when you're here because like, yeah. I remember reading that first Albert Fish book and being yeah. like, there you go. that was so long ago. But here's why you're my favorite author, because so many books come out about topics we already know, and they mm-hmm. just they always add stuff to it. Yeah. still makes a good read, but sometimes you skim, like, okay, I remember that, I remember that. Yeah. When I read a book from you, you completely bring a new person into my life, and this time you bring a female monster into it, <laughs> well, like, who I've never heard of. Yeah, well, I, I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> but, um, but thank you. I'm very, very uh, yeah, flattered by that. And the so. generic, how do you even find out about Belgunis and... What about her, instead of like, oh, maybe an article or I'll talk about her, yeah. to do a book on her? What was right. so intriguing yeah. about her? Um, yeah, you know, I've been trying to find out, remember exactly how I first heard about her. Of course, I do so much research into the history of American crime. Um, you know, you're always coming across references to these different people that might be and are obscure, you know, to the person whose life is not as immersed as mine is, you know, in the history of psychopathic <laughs> murder. Um but uh, I think I first heard about her. There's actually a really interesting book published years ago called Women Who Kill mm-hmm. uh, by a feminist critic named Ann Jones. Uh, and she talks about Bulgunis. That was one possible place. And then there's another book that's a favorite of mine, a book called American Murder Ballads and Their Stories, uh, done by a woman named Olive um, Willie Burt back in the 50s, in which she reprints these uh, murder ballads, you know, um, these basically simple poems about all these crimes and gives a little summary of the crimes, and she covers Bell Gunness. Um, anyway, I got really interested in, in the story of Bell. I was interested for a while in, in the whole phenomenon of female serial murder anyway, you know, because for a long time, uh, you know, the common wisdom was that there's no such thing as a female serial yeah, They don't get the props they deserve because there's been a lot yeah. of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, they, 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 the way they murder their victims 
isn't as gruesomely sensational, you know, as people like, well, you know, Jack the Ripper or Ted Bundy or John Wayne Gacy. You know, female serial killers almost always poison their victims. Uh, and, and there's somehow this conception, you know, that's sort of a quaint Victorian way, you know, of disposing of somebody. You know, this. Uh, I think the, the movie Arsenic and Old Lace, mm-hmm. you know, created this impression, you know, that it's sort of this almost comic way of getting rid of people. Um, but what I say, you know, is that in certain ways, the victims of Jack the Ripper suffered less than the victims of these female poisoners, you know, because Jack the Ripper would slit the throat of these prostitutes and everything horrible he did to them was post-mortem. Yeah, instantly dead and then... Yeah. So, you know, where the, some of these female poisoners take this incredible sexual delight in prolonging the suffering of their victims. And the other thing about female serial poisoners, which makes them different from male serial killers, is that male serial killers tend to prey on strangers. You know, they'll pick up people at bars or, you know, cruising or, you know, victims of opportunity, prostitutes. Um, whereas female serial poisoners almost always murder husbands, wives, chil- uh, husbands, children, siblings, you know, uh, close friends, and they love to watch them suffer. So so I was, again, interested in, in the phenomenon of female serial murder. Uh, and I was very struck with Bell um, that unlike any other female poisoner that I knew, she had also butchered the bodies of her male victims, um, you know, which was something she sort of didn't have to do. <laughs> um, you know, it was obviously, again, an expression of this uh, very, very extreme sadism. Uh, again, they were dead, but, you know, chopping, you know, degrading them to that extent, chopping them up like farm animals, you know, then burying their body parts uh, in these makeshift graves in her hog lot. Um, so, so, yeah, so that's got me interested in her. And then, uh, to answer the second part of your question, before I embark on a book and commit myself to several years of work on it, you know, I have to see if there's enough of a story there, mm-hmm. you know, and also if there's just enough um, research material because I rely on, you know, firsthand primary source material. You know, I'll read whatever books and articles there are about this person, but that's not the basis of my research. You know, the basis of my research is, uh, you know, early newspapers, court documents, whatever psychological stuff I can dig up, and so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, and I discovered by going out to LaPorte, Indiana, and researching in the historical society, uh, that there was a lot of material on Bell, you know, enough for me to write a book about her. That's where I want to go next. You go to LaPorte, Indiana. Did they embrace it? Did they know about it? Oh, Is yeah. it because it's a, it's a small town? And you described it like 1890s. They had seven bars, four butchers. Yeah, small town USA. Oh yeah. And so you go there, and they knew about it. Like it's known there. Like oh, okay, yeah. yeah, they have. Um, yeah, the Historical Society Museum has a whole Bell Gunness exhibit. And so they embraced, they knew, like, hey, you're here for that, let's help you out. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, well, you know, even back then, although there was kind of mixed, there were mixed feelings about it among the townspeople, you know, but it, it quickly came to be called Gunnisville. Uh, and now, you know, enough time has passed, you know, that it's sort of this colorful incident from their, mm-hmm. you know, from their history. So, yeah, there's a little, I have a <laughs> selfie of myself <laughs> with this <laughs> Bell Gunness mannequin they have. Um and, uh, yeah, no, they have uh, a, a lot of research material. And, again, a little Bell Gunness exhibit um, with uh, – there's a display case actually with the skull of one of her victims in it, you know, and a bunch of uh, artifacts that were retrieved from the, the ruins of her house when it burned down. How long did you spend in uh, Laporte? Um, I was there for – I think I was just there for about five days or so. Besides, I found this interesting, Dr. Scholes being from there. Dr. Scholes, yeah. Besides that, anything that stands out uh, really the bad? Guy who, uh, I think the guy, as I remember, the guy who invented Jiffy Pop Popcorn. Um, I think that was in the book, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so not much is known about her early life, which right. is obviously... Right. So let's jump to it. Little Laporte, Indiana. But before we get there, she's married, and on a certain day, hmm. her husband just... Suspiciously, yeah. dumb, a little mysteriously, because what happened on this random day? It was yeah. a very p- special day for her. Yeah, yeah. Well, her first husband, mm-hmm. um, a guy named Mad Sorensen, 
who was a, 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 a night watchman at one of the Chicago department stores. Uh, so Bell had persuaded him to take out a, a life insurance policy, mm -hmm. which, as I recall, was like for two thousand dollars, which of course would have been a lot more, you know, worth a lot more uh, in today's money. Um, and then she persuaded him that he needed a larger insurance policy. I think for three thousand. Okay. Uh, so the the old insurance policy was going to lapse on a particular day, say like on a Monday, and the new insurance policy would also go into effect that day. So there was one day when the two life insurance policies were both in effect. Mm -hmm. You know, one day earlier it just would have been the old one. One day later it just would have been the new one. Um, anyway, on that day, <laughs> just so happened uh, that Mads came home from work uh, seemingly uh, in the pink, in tip-top physical condition, uh, and he suddenly developed this really bad headache and died. Um, so Bell was able to collect on both life insurance policies. Very lucky in such a tragic si situation that <laughs> yeah. she uh, came out this way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there was a certain amount of suspicion about that, but... Uh, you know, the doctor, you know, what, one thing that I always say or one thing that I've discovered or that has been reinforced for me in researching my books is how lucky we are to be living. Oh, <laughs> now. I know. Back then, everybody, yeah. oh, it's just natural causes. Or yeah, they would yeah. just like sweep it under the carpet, right. it seems, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, medicine was in such an incredible primitive condition then, mm -hmm. you know. So um, anyway, yeah. So she took that money uh, and bought this very, very nice farm. Uh, in the town of Laporte, um, which is a little town in Indiana, mm -hmm. not that far away from Chicago. Uh, and then she promptly acquired a second husband. Peter Guinness. Peter G Gunness. Gunness. Yeah. Gunness. Um, and uh, had him take out a life insurance policy. And then but yeah. this killing, we have to talk about it. It's like a B-level horror movie, yeah. how he died. Can you yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> say how... The yeah. accident happened. Yeah. Well, um, according to Bell, <laughs> uh, he had put his shoes by the stove um, to dry them out and warm them up. He was a farmer. Uh, and he went to fetch them and bent down. And when he straightened up again, somehow dislodged this sausage grinder that was <laughs> on the stove, which fell and hit him on the head and killed him. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Yeah. Again, you know, a lot of people question that particular story, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, there was no way of proving that it was anything other than that accident. And she also had her stepdaughter um, or foster daughter, she was never formally adopted, a young girl named Jenny Olson, who was probably around 13 or something at the time. You know, uh, corroborated Bell's The account. same exact story. Yeah, same yeah. exact story. Same words, yeah. And the thing, so now she gets more money from the insurance, and she's just acquiring kids. And it sounds yeah. silly, but there's just kids showing up. Did she give birth? Right? How? Yeah. Well, she, well, you know, the weird thing about Belle is, you know, she did seem to have, on the one hand, these powerful maternal impulses and was desperate to have children. And she ultimately did have... Um, a, a number of children, you know, some s died in infancy. Uh, but again, there's a large question as to whether she gave birth to these children, which she claimed to have done, or somehow, as seems more likely, given certain suspicious circumstances, like one of them, you know, when she gave birth to it, supposedly, like, looked like he was already about <laughs> six months old or whatever. Um, uh, you know, somehow acquired them in different ways. Um, you know, she was rumored to be at certain points of her life what they used to call a baby farmer. Baby farmers were these women who would take in the unwanted or illegitimate children of, you know, mm -hmm. women who didn't want them and supposedly take care of them and, and try to find them a home. Um, although there were some very notorious baby farmers who just murdered the kids. Uh, so, you know, Bell might have acquired them that way. We don't really know for sure. But she ended up, when she was living in Laporte, she ended up with three children plus Jenny Olson, this mm -hmm. foster daughter. And again, exactly 
how she came into possession of them. Yeah, acquired the children. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she was, it was like the prelude to online dating. She was like the first online dating predator before like Tinder and OkCupid. That's how I'm thinking because she would put ads in the newspaper, Mm -hmm. basically telling the guy to come out here. But the thing that I found fascinating, you had a picture or two of her in the book. Mm -hmm. She wasn't attractive. To say the least. Yeah, she was, listen, she was horrible. (laughs) So uh, no one was swiping right to her, but yet she had guys obviously by letter correspondence to, mm-hmm. hey, don't tell anyone you're coming here. Right. Come to LaPorte, Indiana, bring money, get a life insurance. And how was she getting these guys to do it? Because a lot of guys did it. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, um, you know, she would put this ad or different versions of this ad, uh, which weren't strictly accurate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she might have, like, that's yeah. how online dating is, though. Yeah. <laughs> you, you didn't do online dating. No, no. You know what Tinder is, though, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of girls, they do the angling. They lie yeah. a lot. So yeah. I think Belle was one of those anglers, and she <laughs> lied a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have to really take it from a far angle. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, but no, we should say comely widow, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but also back then, you know, the guys who responded to her ads were these lonely Norwegian bachelors and widowers and um, – you know, who are lured as much as anything else, you know, by the prospect of becoming co-owners, you know, of this very, very handsome piece of property. And also, you know, she would play on their homesickness, you know, for Norwegian culture. You know, a lot of these guys were living these very isolated lives, um, you know, on the, you know, out on the prairie. You know, Bell would sort of lure them. You know, I'm, it, it, it's, you know, almost with this. Partly there was a sexual appeal, but partly it was like this maternal thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and she was going to give them good old-fashioned Norwegian home cooking and treat them. The other thing is, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how to phrase this, but you know, back then and there especially. You know, people didn't have the same rigorous standards. You know, they weren't looking for, you know, women with six-pack abs mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, so, you know, I mean, none of these farm women were particularly, like, stunningly beautiful. <laughs> or if they, w- okay, or if they okay. were, you know, by the, you know, they it had faded by the time they were 20. You, know, mean, what you know what? That actually makes a lot of sense back then. There wasn't yeah. model magazines. Yeah. And they're not doing the whole city life where they see these so they're on a okay I make, you know what yeah now yeah. people will be swiping right to bell that's right. it <laughs> <laughs> let's hope not yeah yeah so now guys are coming to laporte yeah but and the whole town sees them it's a small town yeah but they're not seen leaving right children are showing up they're yeah. not seen like how isn't it raising such suspicion like hey there's some real shady stuff going on there yeah well i mean she was living i mean not totally remote mm-hmm. you know from the center of town um but, you know, in, in a way, it's kind of one of the reasons why so many serial murders in America can get away with it, partly because the culture itself is so <coughs> mobile and people are always coming and going. And, you know, these guys would show up and Bell would claim they were cousins who were just there for a short visit. Um, so, and, and, you know, people like monsters like Bell are also in a way protected by the fact that what they're doing is so far beyond the imagination, you know, of ordinary people. You couldn't fathom 30 guys showing up, not coming, not leaving. Oh, she killed them. It wouldn't even cross yeah. your mind because we're... You know. Yeah, that she killed them, chopped them up, and buried them in the hog <laughs> I mean, it was just like, you know, okay, these were like cousins from various places mm-hmm. or, you know, or, or handymen, you know, people she hired. And then it didn't work out, so they went off looking for something else, you know. Now, how long was this whole process going on of the ads and guys coming? It was really just, uh, I mean, that part of it um, only lasted maybe about three or four years. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Well, that that actually really uh, surprised me in the book because I'm reading it. And I remember I know nothing about the topic Uh before, besides, I read a little bit of it all, Butcher of Men. So when you name the two husbands she killed, I'm like, all right, she probably... Married three people, killed them, and that was it. And then when I'm like, oh, this guy came. This guy went missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now all these guys are going missing. Mm-hmm. And the one thing she would do is she would tell people in the ads, like, when they're writing letters, when they're yeah. corresponding, yeah. don't tell anyone you're coming here. Right. 
you and I, then we'll surprise everybody. Right. And they're believing, like, oh, there's kind of a little fairy tale. They're yeah. bringing money, yeah. showing up with boxes, never seen again. Yeah. But like you said, she had a handyman. And I wish I, it's Ray. What was Ray? Yeah, Lanthier. Yeah, so yeah. he was like the hand. I think he was involved personally. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think he was helping out whatever he was. Yeah. And then kind of it stopped when, was it Andrew? Yes. So Andrew, uh, there's a guy named, a farmer from uh, South Dakota named Andrew Helgelian. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the fascinating and really chilling aspects of the story um, is th- this correspondence that Bell conducted with him, you know, because uh, she, uh, she took a year and a half. She was relentless. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, he, he, she decided, you know, that he was this prime candidate. Um, and she spent a year and a half corresponding with him uh, over 80 letters, you know, many of which still exist. So you really get a sense of just how sinister and sadistic she was, you know, because you see in reading these letters her setting this trap, you know, to lure this guy, this unsuspecting guy, uh, to his own death. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he kept promising he would come and then something would interfere with it. You know, he had a big farm of his own. Um, so one thing and another kept uh, interfering. Um, but, again, she didn't give up. And finally, after a year and a half and, as I said, over 80 letters uh, in which she would promise what a wonderful life he'd have and how much she'd take care of him and, you know, all the various uh, wonderful Norwegian cooking, you know, she would treat him to. And again, you know, a certain amount of sexual innuendo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he finally showed up. Ray Lamphere, uh, who had been her handyman and occupying the bedroom adjacent to hers, and also, as apparently was the case with other handymen, enjoying her sexual favors, uh, and who had uh, assumed and had been telling people that he was going to marry Belle, you know, and become the master of this farm. As soon as Helgelian showed up, you know, Bell just, uh, you know, moved him out into the barn. Banished him right to the barn, like, yeah. dude, get to the barn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and don't ever talk to Andrew. We don't want to see you around. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, um, she sent him off on this wild goose chase. Right to Chicago or something? Uh, no, it wasn't Chicago. It was uh, another little town. There was some errand. She, he was gonna, supposed to go pick up a horse from some buyer. Uh, she told him, you know, not to come back till the next morning. Uh, the guy never showed up. Um, so he came back that night and went to the house. And something happened. He witnessed something that night, mm-hmm. which you know, given subsequent events, um, obviously was her murdering, her murdering Helgelian. You know, whether Ray participated in that is unknown, Mm -hmm. but it seems pretty clear that at least he, you know, witnessed it and, you know, probably was blackmailing her in some way. Yeah, and that seemed like that was the final straw on in Laporte because the next day or whatever, she goes to town. Like I, and this is what fascinates me about like your research. Yeah. She goes to town. She changes her will. Mm-hmm. She buys th- gasoline. Did she buy kerosene? Yeah. She buys it. Goes back, and then boom! That night, the house goes up in flames. Right. Yeah. It wasn't exactly that night. I mean, okay. You know, but between the time Helgelian disappeared uh, and the time of the fire, um, there were a few weeks involved during which Bell kept trying to have Ray arrested. You know, she, she had was, him arrested a couple she times, had arrested a couple like times. stalking or whatever. Yeah, trespassing. Mm-hmm. Um, she tried to have him declared insane and institutionalized. Uh, you know, there was some very suddenly there was very, 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 very bad blood between the two of them. And Bell kept trying to get him out of the way, um, and then finally, as you say, she uh, went into town, uh, visited a lawyer, had her will revised, told everybody that she was afraid Ray was going to kill her. Um, went to the general store, brought back a can of kerosene, uh, brought it into the house, and then, as you say, that night, uh, the house burst into flames and was totally, totally obliterated. And then law enforcement comes, and I think, I'm not sure if you said it in the book, but like, I think, was she like found like hugging mm-hmm. the kids? So yeah. the story should end right there, but it's Bell Gunness. Of course, it can't be that easy. It should right. stop. Like, okay, the house went up in flames, story's over, but the three kids. Mm-hmm. Are found intact. Mm-hmm. The quote, I guess it's you think it's Belgunis mm-hmm. is missing something, so yep. she has no head on herself, right. like yep. her head's off. Now, when the house is up in flames, they found the children dead, Belgunis uh, assumingly dead. When did they start now searching the property farm? Because mm-hmm. that was like 
because there's a crime scene here with a fire. When did they start like, hey, let's digging this up? How and yeah. why did that happen? Um, yeah, well, initially, uh, when, as you said, they, they found, uh, you know, once the embers had cooled, uh, and the only part of the house that still remained was the stone cellar, and they started digging through that, and they found uh, the, the, the torso of this woman, you know, and, and these, the, the bodies, the, the incinerated corpses of the three children, you know, in her embrace. You know, the initial thought was, you know, that she was, she was portrayed in the press as this heroic mother, you know, who had awakened in the middle of the night, and the house was on fire, and she gathered up her children, perhaps tried to save them, and they'd all three been killed. What happened was that uh, the brother of Andrew Helgelian, Bell's last victim, mm-hmm. whose name was Aisley, um, had begun to wonder what, what happened to his brother, and he discovered this correspondence in Andrew's farm. So he knew he was corresponding with Bell, and he knew that he planned to go visit Bell. Uh, Aisley heard about the fire in Bell's house, so he came to Laporte. Uh, to see what he could find out about his brother. And it was Aisley who, uh, you know, first he was sort of looking around the property, didn't see anything, was about to go home, and then it suddenly occurred to him uh, to ask one of the handymen, a guy named Maxon, if there were any places on the property that had seemed to have been recently dug into or dug up. Uh, And Maxon said, yeah, in fact, there was what he called this soft spot. Uh, and they dug it up, and, and sure enough, the uh, dismembered remains of Aisley's brother, Andrew, were inside. And then they started looking for these other spots, and very, very quickly, you know, they exhumed the remains of all these other men that Belle had lured to her farm and poisoned and butchered. And it wasn't just bodies, like, on the Gacy's house was bodies. Yeah. Here, the, like you said, they were dismembered. They were cut yeah. up, so yeah, they're yeah. pulling up a head, yeah. a torso, a right. leg here. Yeah, yeah. Which is so uncharacteristic for a female serial killer. And that's what, totally. yeah. back to the whole intriguing thing, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, how many victims total were found there? Um, well, they stopped digging after about 11 were picked up. It's a little hard to know because she would throw the different body parts of different people into the same grave. You know, so they dug up, you know, some of the skeletons were all mixed up together. Um, but we know that there were a minimum of 11 victims and probably a lot more than that, although we don't know the definitive number. The thing that fascinated me, this was in the late 1890s, right, or early? Uh, 1908. Okay, so the early, ni- early 1900s, and yet it made international news, which mm-hmm. that kind of surprised me, because, you know, now it's like, oh, it's going on Twitter right away, yeah. but it's so hard for me to fathom a hundred and something years ago, national news, mm-hmm. and while this is an active crime scene, it became a tourist attraction overnight. Oh, yeah. Like you said, tens of... A thousand, uh, thousands of people were showing up at this place, yeah. taking photos, active crime scene, yeah. souvenirs, picking yeah. stuff up. Yeah. That blew my mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, one of the things, again, that I have discovered, um, you know, years ago, uh, I was on the, when John Walsh had this TV show, I was on it, uh, and I was on this guy named and- Andy Kahn. Andy Kahn um, works um, in the district attorney's office in Texas. And he's the one who coined this term murderabilia, mm-hmm. you know, to mean, um, you know, this, these relics or artworks or whatever, you know, of serial killers that people collect. You know, he's a big, you know, he, he's a big campaigner against that stuff. Against it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, there's sort of a sense that it's kind of a weird, morbid, you know, modern day phenomenon that people are interested in collecting souvenirs having to do with these horrible crimes. But it's always been the case. And it used to be even much worse than it is now. You know, back in the old days, people would, uh, you know, uh, back in England, one of the perks of being a hangman was after you would hang a criminal, you got to keep the rope. And, and, uh, and, you know, they would cut off pieces of the rope and sell them. You really? Know, yeah. I never heard that. And, and you know, there were, uh, you know, some very infamous criminals. Like there were these grave robbers named Burke and Hare. Uh, and, you know, after they, were, after they were executed, I mean, they were selling, like, swatches of their skin, you know, which people would make into tobacco pouches and stuff like that. So, you know, so it's always been the case that people wanted relics. Mm-hmm. Uh, of these murders and and back in the old days you know before you had any kind of sophisticated police presence and you know crime scene don't cross tape you know people would destroy these you know these crime scenes um, completely so um, so yeah 
The first Sunday after the discovery of the horrors on Bell Gunnis Farms, an estimated 20,000 people showed up. They had excursion trains running from <laughs> Chicago. You know, they had guys there selling ice cream. And Polaroid lemonade. pictures. Yeah, well, not Polaroid, but it's amazing how quickly, you know, the local printers produce these postcards. Yeah, postcards. You know, some of the postcards, again, were these really gruesome shots of the, you know, Andrew Hel- Helgelian's head. The other part of it is they, they, they had, uh, when they would dig up these decomposed remains, they stuck them in this carriage shed, this little outbuilding on Bell's property. Um, and, you know, they made it into a makeshift morgue. And there are photographs of all these people, you know, men, women, children, you know, just ordinary citizens, you know, lining up. It's like going to see Pirates of the Caribbean or something. <laughs> um, you know, lining up, you know, to get in, you know, to file past these reeking, you know, decomposed human remains and get a glimpse of them. So, uh, and, and, you know, people would be throwing down blankets and picnicking, you know, a few feet away from these, you know, graves in which, you know, which still, again, reeked of the decomposed remains of the victims that had just recently been dug out of them. So, you know, that sort of morbid curiosity is just a feature of our human nature, and it's always existed. Yeah, you nailed it with human nature, because when, when I'm reading it, I'm like, okay, you know, it's a story. Obviously, it's going to be a story, and Chicago's going to pick up on it, because Chicago's the next big city. Yeah. But because most of the victims were Norwegian, mm-hmm. Norway's talking about it, yeah, yeah. and people are coming from all over yeah. to come to the crime scene. I'm like, I couldn't picture that now, thinking it, but yet it's so more because now it's like, oh, how do you look at those pictures of a crime scene or that? They were doing it a hundred and something years ago, so it yeah, wasn't no. that it was like completely uh, yeah. out of the norm. Oh, it was always, it's, again, it's always been the case, and it's the case now. I mean, it's one of the reasons why, you know, for example, they tore down the building that Jeffrey Dahmer yep. lived in. Um, you know, because people knew it was just going to become this huge tourist attraction. And I think that actually the cop got fired for selling a piece of the refrigerator, if I'm correct. Oh, did he? Yeah, uh, I think yeah, the yeah. freezer or something he took and he sold it. Yeah. All right, let's get back to the story now because we're going to go off on these yeah. random things. So now they find the bodies. Belle Gunness is, is dead with her children, which we assume. Supposedly. Of course. There's bodies here. The story should be closed. But now there's the conspiracy theories, and I'm not one of them, mm-hmm. but yet... She was a big girl, mm-hmm. and yet the body of the quote-unquote mother who heroically dove mm-hmm. on her kids to protect them was completely different. That's what freaked yeah. me out the most. How, like, and it was a big—it wasn't like yeah. a few inches who might have uh, shrunk in the fire. This right. was like a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. Exactly. Oh, Bell was, you know, about 280 pounds, and I think the, uh, uh, the torso they found— um, which also some of the limbs had been burnt off, but, you know, weighed about 75 or something like that. So it was a big question, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was actually Belle uh, or whether she had somehow staged this, you know, lured a, a woman, you know, plus-size woman or whatever, you know, to her farm and decapitated her and killed her and killed the kids and set the whole thing up. You know, the, the, the book is subtitled, as you said, The Mystery of Belle Gunness. And part of the mystery, which remains unresolved to this day, uh, and you know, is still being argued among people who are interested in the case, you know, is whether she survived the fire or not. Now, while I'm reading the book, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm reading the regular book now because we're going to get to the Kindle part in a second. But I'm reading the regular book, and I'm like, oh, right, there's still a lot left. Yeah. Is it her? Or is it not? And like, oh, then we found her teeth. It's her. Then people said it wasn't. So there was no definitive answer. Right. And now you did this with your last book, Maneater, mm-hmm. where you kind of left the reader thinking, hey, you make the call. Hey, mm-hmm. is it hard? Is that not your goal, but did you realize it like during it? Like, oh, shit, my, another book is going to end with. Yeah, yeah. The- well, it's a good question because, you know, I sort of was hoping um, that I would solve the mystery. Uh, one point I thought I had, actually, because in my research, I discovered that Belle um, occasionally used a, a pseudonym when she placed these ads. Um, and I forget exactly what it was, it was Bell Hinckley, I think. And, uh, and in the course of my research, I discovered uh, the existence of a Bell Hinckley in Wisconsin who had gotten married, sort of, you know, like a little later than the whole Bell. I, I just thought, you know, maybe. You nailed it. Yeah. But when I do my books, I hire this uh, genealogical searcher to help me with my research. Oh, God. And, <laughs> and uh, Anyway, she, you know, did a lot of research into this Wisconsin Bell Hinckley, and it turned out not to be her. So, no, I hadn't. I mean, 
you know, I, I uh, again was really hoping I would be able to come to some definitive conclusion, um, but wasn't able to. Uh, uh, I also contacted, uh, there were a couple of anthropologists who had exhumed uh, the, the skeleton uh, of the body that had been buried in Chicago that was presumably Bell's, mm -hmm. you know, the remains of a woman who had been dug out of the cellar. And they ran DNA tests on it, but they were unable to come to any kind of conclusion. Yeah, the inconclusive. And then the California part kind of yeah. blew me away because now I'm, yeah. I'm reading. Now I'm going to take you as the reader now. I'm reading it. I said, okay, it's not her or is it her? Yeah. I'm going back and forth. So there's two things. Either one, she staged her own death, right. which is definitely possible because she's so sinister. She's thinking things out yeah. so far ahead of time. Right. Went and bought, you know, she bought the stuff, changed to will or two. She's dead in the fire. Right. Ray is arrested yeah. for the fire and the murder. Right. But you kind of can't charge him now because they're like, holy, is this even her? We don't even know if this is her. Right. And then what happens in California? Because this actually blew – like I was all pumped up and I'm reading it alone. Yeah. My girlfriend was at her sister's house. I'm reading it and I want someone to be next to me because I want to be like, okay, they just found shit in California. <laughs> Can you tell me what happened yeah. in California? Because that was so um, cool. Yeah. Well, in the 1930s, I don't remember the exact year, um, this woman named Esther Carlson was – arrested for having poisoned her her landlord um or not her landlord but the guy she worked for as a housekeeper and uh uh and then it turned out she had also apparently poisoned a previous husband anyway uh it, when when the police started searching her possessions they discovered in her trunk a photograph that appeared to be a picture of Belgunis's children so immediately the story began to circulate that Esther, you know, that Esther Carlson was Belle Gunnis. She was the right age to be Belle Gunnis. Um, she, you know, given, given the fact that several decades had passed, you know, she resembled Belle Gunnis. Uh, anyway, before she could be brought to trial, she actually died of tuberculosis. Um, but because now there was this belief that she might be Belle, who... You know, in the intervening years, there were constant sightings of her all over the place. Um, anyway, they, they got a couple of guys from Laporte uh, who had known Bell very well to come and view Esther Carlson's corpse, and they swore that it was Bell Gunnis. So, uh, you know, again, that made national news that, you know, Bell had survived. Um, the only problem there was <laughs> that and, and your, your listeners can go on YouTube and see this. Uh, turned out there was this Norwegian uh, researcher, um, you know, very, very obsessed with the case of Bell. And he had come to the United States uh, and done very, very, very extensive research on Esther Carlson and ultimately concluded that she wasn't Bell Gunnis. So. Yeah, I, I think you include that part in the book too, yes, didn't you? Yeah, yeah that pissed yeah. me off because I'm like, no, you should have left it out so I could have been like, you know. <laughs> yeah. But my opinion she staged her own death. It had to be because yeah. she, she was so sinister. I don't think she would have went out like that. Yeah. You know, I, everybody who has interviewed me for a podcast or whatever, even that I've spoken to, like everybody who's read my book mm -hmm. has said the same thing. Yeah, I, she yeah. felt, I, not that she was like great, but I'm like, she's not going out like that. She's yeah. not going out like, hey, you yeah. got me. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that dude, you know, I just give me too into the book, but Ray yeah. was so scared of her that I don't, yeah. I don't think it would happen. Now, were you frustrated now? Because now you're doing the book. Yeah. And you're like, Shit, you can't figure it out. Yeah. You didn't figure it out that if it was her or not. Is that frustrating? You're like, hey, I'll chalk it yeah. up to whatever. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm not big on ambiguity. <laughs> you know, I wasn't. Uh, I was also, you know, I faced the same thing as you said with my last book on Alfred Packer. Mm -hmm. Although with Packer, I ended up at least having a stronger opinion. Yes. You know, with Packer, <clears throat> even though, you know, again, there was this element of uncertainty. You know, I really felt that he had murdered the guys. You know, there were too many holes in his stories. So, the thing with the Bell Gunnis case is every time, you know, I convince myself of one possibility, I immediately think the other one is equally possible because, as, you know, as, as you say, yeah, it seems like given her, everything we know about her, it's most likely she stays her death. But at the same time, you know, she was so spiraling into madness that, you know, I, I could also imagine, and again, given the fact that she bought this kerosene on the same Yeah, maybe day. the walls are just closing on her. She's yeah. like, okay, this right. is it. Yeah, yeah. The one other thing is that she... And also, by the way, you know, the fact that she would kill her kids, you know, I, I almost sort of, you know, think 
you know, that she wouldn't have murdered her. It's hard to know. I mean, you know, that she would have murdered children and gone off. You know, it's like I'm going to just leave them, take them. I'm going to go, but I'm not going to leave my kids, you know, to be raised by somebody else. That actually makes sense. And the one thing that always because, you know, I'm like, as I'm reading, okay, she's killing these people for insurance money. Yeah. She wants the money. But yet she wasn't living this. I know there wasn't. It's not now where you can live lavishly and buy. But she wasn't doing anything special with the money. Was she? She was just. She might have just been a complete psychopath that wanted to kill people. Well, I mean, I'm sure she wanted to kill people. That actually helps. Yeah. You know, first of all, she already, you know, had a pretty decent amount of money from the insurance from her first two husbands. Um, You know, she had this nice farm. Uh, Yeah, there was some, you know, whatever. It's like a Scrooge McDuck kind of thing. You know, you just want to, like, dive into this Mm -hmm. pool of money. Um, You know, it's not (laughs) what you, you know, it's not what you buy with it or anything. But, yeah, but, you know, there are other ways to get money. You know, the luring guys to your farm and butchering them. <laughs> What's the feeling of relief? Because you said you put how many years into this book? Oh, um, well, I mean, I mean, I thought about it for a long time, but it usually takes me about two years to do a book. One Is there such to... relief when you finish the book? Like, <sighs> Yeah. Is it well, like... I'm always really excited when I start, but by the end, um, yeah, you want it to be over with. You need it to be over. Yeah. Now you did. Uh, you went to Laporte. Why didn't you go to Norway for research? I would just, I would just yeah. finagle that one. Like, hey, you know what? Let me do, go to Norway to do yeah, some yeah. research on it. Yeah. Well, partly because I don't speak Norwegian. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, one reason. I mean, there are these you know foreign serial killers that I'm really, really interested in. Like, okay. You know, these German lust murderers like Peter Curtin, who was the inspiration yeah. for Fritz Lang's M and stuff like that. But. You know, uh, not speaking the language is a big stumbling block. So. <laughs> now, here's where I'm going to have to ask you a personal question. Where do I build? Uh, where do I bill you? Because I bought your book. Uh-huh. Obviously, I went to Barnes and Noble, bought your book, oh, nice. and I'm halfway through it. Uh-huh. I'm just reading it, and I think I, when you agreed, you texted me like, "Hey, I'll come on next week." I'm like, "Good, I have time to finish the book." Yeah. I think I googled you randomly, and there was a lot of comments about your Kindle book yeah. being like kind of interactive. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, "Oh, all right." I'm like, oh, do I have to really? So I had to buy your Kindle book. It was on sale, though. Yeah. <laughs> so I buy it. And what was really cool about your Kindle book, and I'm going to try to sell the Kindle book. I don't yeah. know if that's even yeah, better. Yeah. That's fine. While you're reading it, like you turn the page, and a lot of times in Kindle books, because yeah. I read both. I read hardcover mm-hmm. and whatever. Yeah. And there'll be a picture. You can double-click it. The picture yeah. comes up big. With yours, it was interactive. Yeah. Like you turn the page, and there'll be a fire right. when the house was on fire. Yeah. There'll be a legit newspaper, which was awesome. Like, there yeah. were, you found the old newspapers. But then also, there was like a little one, like you had uh, the photographs from the crime scene. Yeah. If you hit the play button, they played. Was that yeah. your idea to do that? No, no. This is a new thing they call Kindle in Motion. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and uh, as you said, I mean, some of the illustrations are animated a little mm-hmm. bit and stuff. Yeah, no, it's great. I love it. But, no, I, I, I had nothing to do with that. Because I never even heard of it until yeah, they just they just started it. My book, I think, is one of the first ones. Yeah, that, I thought that was a huge selling point. You yeah. should be selling because that was so cool. And you know, what I like too the background wasn't the plain. Uh, did you even see? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the background wasn't just a plain white background. It was like a uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's beautiful. A yellowish hue. Yeah. It was it was really really different. Yeah, yeah. No, it's beautiful. Who did those illustrations? Because some of them was oh, like yeah. Well, there were two or maybe even three different illustrators whose names sadly I don't remember, but. No, I mean, Kin- Amazon did this amazing job. I mean, the people who were involved mm-hmm. in that, um, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, I was obviously consulted and putting it together. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm very pleased. It's this beautiful technology. Yeah, I, I was a big fan of that. That's going to be yeah. really cool. It's gonna be a, that's a game changer, too, because you yeah. get into it. Yeah, it absolutely. was a, a lot different, so I'll bill you afterwards. <laughs> and um, I'll tell you, so I did the interview with you a year ago. Yeah. And uh, like a lot of downloads and probably – so I got lucky. I had on like Dick Vitale. I know you're not a sports guy, but Dick Vitale came on. Um, yep. Rob O'Neill, the dude who killed Bin Laden, came on yep. like four times. Yep. Uh, a lot of old Howard Stern uh-huh. guests like Jackie Mar- I got yep. very lucky with like mm-hmm. a slew of like yep. a sh- shitload of guests. Yep. So all my old downloads kept going up and up and up. And the one comment everyone kept commenting about the last time you came on yep. is when I said, so tell me about your study because oh. I picture like, you know – you and I hanging out, the crackling wood, you had a pipe, and you're like, yeah, that's pretty much it. And someone actually wrote, and it actually had like a little discussion on my page. It was, um, someone's like, can you, because we mentioned your daughter just got married. Yes, and we said, my daughters. yes, can you yeah. imagine the boyfriend like going to speak to Harold Schechter in the study? <laughs> and someone like put a perfect, um, like they 
I paint the perfect picture. It's like you in a study with like, you know, with the pipe, <laughs> the wood crackling, him telling you, I want to marry your daughter. And you not, someone wrote, and him not saying a word, just looking and you hear the cracking and the guy being uncomfortable. That's all I thought about. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I did, did I describe my study as having a fireplace and me smoking No, I, th- I think I put it in there. Oh, okay. Yeah. I put yeah. it in there and I said yeah. it was a little dark because you don't have a lot of lights. It I told you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you left out like my collection of Victorian dead baby pictures and stuff like that. Well, remember I said there's probably some creepy stuff like yeah. when you walked by, it's going to be a baby picture. I'm telling yeah. you, I picture your study <laughs> and I thought I was going to get invited to the study, but we have to come to Jack Dempsey's to the bar. Oh, yeah. Dude, you definitely should come to the study. I'm telling you. Yeah. So then I tell my girlfriend, it was funny. So I, uh, I'm like, oh, you know, Harold Check is coming back on. And, of course, she she makes a million comments. Like, oh, you fall in love with him again like because she knows I had all your books and stuff. And I was, like, promoting your books. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, yeah, his study. And the study comment, like, everyone's talking about it. <laughs> and I figure, like, you have all the old book, leather-bound books, of course, right? Sort of. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll and, tell you, you now, one book I have okay. that a friend of mine gave me. Um, I was just showing it to somebody. Is uh, and I'm not sure why this friend gave it to me, but but I do have this one leather bound book, although it's a little kind of crumbling. Um, but it's this old weird encyclopedia. But it actually belonged to H.P. Lovecraft. I don't know who that is. Oh, he's this very very famous uh, horror writer. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, he was like uh, you know Edgar Allan Poe. He was like the Stephen King of his time. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, not most of my but look. I mean, my stu- <laughs> I actually have photographs of my stuff. Uh, well, I want to see the yeah. stuff. I want to see it. Yeah, yeah. And while we're doing it, uh, I know you're not a murderabilia guy. You don't collect it, but you do have some relics. Is that a good? Well, yeah, I mean, people have given me a few weird things. Mm-hmm. I do collect, actually, I have a very uh, impressive collection of 19th century poison bottles, which uh, my wife started me on. Um, how do you even start inquiring, like, how do you start collecting those? Well, in the old days, you would have to look for them in antique stores. Mm-hmm. Now, they're easily acquirable on eBay. Oh, that's like actually pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, they're beautiful. You know, back then, um, you know, people would... There was all this over-the-counter stuff that was poisonous, um, and sometimes medications that you were given. You know, I mean, strychnine, for example, was an ingredient in a lot of medications back mm-hmm. then. So was arsenic in certain doses. Um, so, you know, a lot of these um, chemicals would come in these bottles, and they all had ridges on them, uh, and they would, and the glass would be embossed either with the words poison or not to be taken, sometimes both. But again, the, the, po- the point of the, uh, the ridges was that if you kind of groped around at night in your medicine cabinet. You're you touching know, it. This is no good. Yeah, Do not. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they come, there are blue ones, there are green ones, there are amber ones. That's wild. Yeah, they're beautiful. Some have skull and crossbones. I mean, the most valuable one that I have is actually shaped like a skull. Um, so, yeah, my wife started me on that years ago. I mean, in a way, that's the only, you know, kind of morbid collectible that I have a lot of. Mm-hmm. But but what I do is when I work on a book, I like to have some object connected with the crime that I keep on my desk uh, so that, um, you know, years ago I wrote a book about John C. Colt, uh, Sam Colt's brother, mm-hmm. who was involved in a very, very sensational murder in which he clubbed a guy to death with uh, this kind of axe, this kind of uh, roof hammer thing, you know, which was like an axe on one side and a hammer on the other. You know, so I kept one of those around my desk. And then um, the, the thing I find fascinating is you, had the, you actually held the Albert Fish letter, yeah, which is, that is the most mind-boggling thing. Yeah, well, I, 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 it's, it's framed now. So, okay. Um, I didn't touch the actual paper. <laughs> But but yeah no I, I have witnessed it on a you know number of occasions so and now so now I have to ask the generic one anything, you're retired now but anything From next my academic job. yes ac- um, yeah well actually uh, speaking of Kindle in Motion so Kindle uh, Amazon is also starting something called Amazon Original Stories okay uh, they just published the first few Joyce Carol Oates did one anyway I've done uh, and and these are these are fiction or non-fiction pieces uh, that are meant to be re- short enough to be read in basically one sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I've done six of them, uh, which run from about 40 to 50 pages each. Mm-hmm. Each one 
you know, deals with, uh, you know, a particular true crime. Um, it kind of covers a 100-year span beginning in the 1860s and going to the 1960s. Uh, so there are six of them. First one is about this guy, Al- Albert Hicks, uh, who was a mass murderer back in the 1860s, um, who was hanged publicly on what is now Liberty Island, um, you know, for having committed this mass murder. Mm-hmm. One is on the Bender family, you know, this family. Well, that was my last question I was going to ask you. Go with the Bender, because that was crazy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I did one on the Bender family. Uh, I did one on uh, Howard Unruh, who was really the first modern American mass murderer, uh, who killed about, I forget, 12 or 13 people mm-hmm. in uh, Camden, New Jersey in 1949. Uh, I did one of this guy, Charles Schmidt, who was known as the Pied Piper of Tucson. Um, and anyway, there are six of them all together. So those are coming out this summer, only okay. available on Kindle. I think, uh, I'm not sure if they're going to be Kindle in motion, but they will be illustrated. Uh, and now I'm working on a book about movies that were inspired by true crimes. So Even fic- fictional movies that were inspired by true crimes, movies that people would not necessarily know were based on true crimes, but were based on true crimes. So that, for example, I mean, a famous example... The Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Ed yeah. Um, or, um, you know, the movie Badlands, mm-hmm. Tripsy Badlands. You know, those based on... You know, the case of Charlie Starkweather and his girlfriend, Carol Fugate, you know, who were on this murder spree. Okay. So, yeah, that's what I'm working on now. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm getting to watch a lot of movies. I mean, it's a lot of work. <laughs> You're a movie guy, too, right? I'm a movie guy, too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm enjoying it. turns out to be, as is often the case when I write a book, more work than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, come on. Yeah. Did you enjoy doing the short 60-page stories? Like, you did enough research, but you, I did. you, you, but you enjoyed too, it? I mean, yeah, I did enjoy it. You know, in some cases, um, you know, like the Albert Hicks story, they were cases that I wanted to write about for a long time, but it, and it turned out there wouldn't, wouldn't be enough material for an entire book. You know, so it was kind of perfect for me to write. And that's actually what we talked about last time. Are you ever yeah. like, hey, I'm going all in. Oh, there's not enough. Yeah. And I that's never, yeah. I mean, when I, I, mean I, I determine that there's going to be enough before I commit myself to the whole thing. Now, did you do an audio version for this book? There is no. For the but you, didn't, you didn't do the reading? No, I, I was asked to do the reading. But, you know, I like having professional readers do books. I'm always a little disappointed when I hear, except for one case. The only case where... I really enjoyed the writer reading his own work was Bruce Springsteen's autobiography. Okay. Yeah. Um, but generally, you know, I don't feel they're not. Really? That was my question for you. Like, why don't you have the audio version, like, with you, with yeah. the crackling fireplace in the background? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I heard that just crackling so much work. House. Yeah. I've had so many yeah. authors on. Yeah. And so many authors complained about, like, the audio. It's like, you're in there for days yeah, and sure. days. And, yeah. like, O'Neill just came on. And he had uh, his book just came out in paperback, and he was like, "Dude, the audio version is is hell. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. just reading it, and you can't like, <clears throat> there's no stuttering. Go right. back, remo- yeah. and you're reading the same stuff over. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. he not a fan of that. Yeah, and you have to sort of you know be a little bit of an actor, which not something I regard myself as. So, so now more personal stuff. And by the way, thank you for bringing up Bender because my last question was to you was, can you write the next story on the Bender family? That's yeah, actually what I was yeah. going to write to you. Okay, yeah. Well, you know, you should read my... Uh, oh, obviously I'm going yeah, to. It's called Little Slaughterhouse on the Prairie. Oh, is that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, so when I... Here's how I do. I read um, all different books. I just mm-hmm. actually finished a Richard Nixon books. And when I'm reading... I'm trying to read a book a week. That's mm-hmm. like my goal every year for the last like six years. And as I'm reading the Nixon book, if they bring up something like about... I'm like, oh, I'll write down... Mm-hmm. I have a little notebook. Right. Of a topic in the book, and then I read about that, and that's mm-hmm. how I have like. Yeah. So as right. I'm reading your book, it says the ben- Bender family. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to Google. Yeah. Bender family book. Right. And then that's how I go to like next book, next book, next right. book. So I'm glad you wrote about that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I speak with the Benders. I also speak about Johann Hock. I don't know if you remember who's this Bluebeard character that Bell was compared yeah, to. Yeah, can you that? hit so that up? Is that yeah? Because you so called yeah. her Lady Bluebeard. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm thinking maybe when I finish this movie book, I'm, I'm going to look into the Johan Hock case because that was uh, – but, yeah, I mean, that's often how I come to write my books myself. You know, I'll write one book about one subject, and, and you know, while I'm researching that, there'll be some reference to some other case that I haven't heard of, and I'll look into that. And, you know, if it looks like it might be a potential subject, I'll and pursue Bluebeard it. And Bluebeard was from Europe, right? Wasn't it a European thing or not? Well, I mean, Bluebeard is a, it's a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was published um, in this famous book, Tales of Mother Goose, by this French author, France, Charles okay. Perrault. Um, 
And supposedly, you know, the story was based on an actual person, this guy Gilles de Ray, who was uh, a, uh, uh, the, the, uh, a comrade in arms of Joan of Arc. Uh, and supposedly he was one of these horribly depraved aristocrats, you know, who would, but you know, butcher all these young children and so on and so forth. I mean, no, it's very hard to know, you know, if that's accurate or not. But he got the reputation, um, you know, being this crazed serial murdering aristocrat in this castle. And supposedly he was the inspiration for Perrault's story of Bluebeard, you know. But Bluebeard, yeah, it's a famous story mm -hmm. about, you know, this creepy old guy who keeps murdering women and. Uh, you know, bringing them to his castle and telling them they can go anywhere except this one room, you know, and inevitably they all they have to go to the room, go to the room. And, and what <clears> they <throat> discover there are the chopped up body parts of his former wives, which they end up becoming the next one. So, so on a personal level, how yeah. many interviews are you getting done now talking about the book? I get a little like, OK. Yeah. Although you're a great interviewer. Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah. No, I really enjoy, have enjoyed immensely my two interviews with you. Um, but yeah, to some extent, I have been getting a little weary of it. Uh -huh. You know, partly because, <clears throat> <laughs> well, one thing is, you know, by the time my book comes out, I'm already like completely immersed in my next book. Yeah, you're removed from, yeah. from Bell. Basically, like, forgotten. Like, <laughs> you know, and sometimes interviews will like ask me these questions, and I have, they'll have just read the book. And they'll like ask me something, and like I'll have like no idea what the answer is, <laughs> um, and it's really embarrassing. So, um, but anyway, yeah. So, are you enjoying retirement now? Yeah, yes, I am enjoying retirement. I, you know, I tell people, <laughs> I you know, I, w I was a, 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 a an American liter literature professor for forty two years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in academics. I mean, it's not like a guy who has a nine-to-five, five-day-a-week job. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You know, my teaching schedule was, uh, you know, is it two days a week? You know, start. So, you know, being retired isn't that radically yeah. different. <laughs> You're um, not sleeping in every day? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, my life is, uh, I mean, yeah, I'm enjoying it. But my life, you know, is still very much the same in many mm -hmm. ways. You know, even when I was working, uh, you know, I'd write every day. You know, I would te had a two-day-a-week teaching schedule. My first class didn't begin really till like 11 o'clock. Oh, you had a good life. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know who spoke very highly of you? I hope you, don't, I hope you remember him. If not, just do the nod that you do. Uh, Lieutenant Bernard Whalen. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh. So, uh, not saying what I do for work. I'm not allowed to do that. But I have a podcast. Um, I mean, um, I met him, and he's a big fan of Jackie Martling. Uh-huh. Okay. So, I'm like, oh, Jackie comes on my show too much. Uh -huh. And he's like, hey, is there any way I can meet him? I'm like... Whatever you want. He's like, okay. So I set up a show. Um, I invite a ton of people. And I invite Whalen. And Whalen's sitting there with Jackie Martling, with Jim Florentine. We're having a great time. Everyone's having like – so the show's over. And I'm on Goodreads because I actually finished Whalen's book. He wrote uh -huh. a book about the, um, the first like 50 years of the NYPD, I believe. Uh -huh. So I'm on Goodreads. I gave you five stars. Don't worry. Thank you. And I wrote. And he goes, oh, oh, you had Harold Schechter on? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, he's actually my favorite author. He goes, oh, I met him during – so he actually spoke yeah. very highly of you. I think it was the med sculptor. Was that the oh, time yeah, you guys yeah, – yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah, he spoke very, very, very highly of you. He's like, great. oh, he's great. How, what's he up to? Uh -huh. I'm like, oh, just writing, coming on my show. So Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, send my regards. Yes, I will. Um, like I said, for you to come on, I completely, like, get all pumped up. Like, this is crazy. I have on, like <laughs> – Three comedians this week, and um, I don't know Sid Rosenberg. He just oh. took over for Imus. Yeah, yeah, He's coming on next week, yeah. and Rob O'Neill's coming back on. All these people coming on, and yeah. I'm like beyond pumped up that you came on. So it was really, really cool. So yeah, it's great. I love being here. So, and thank you. We won't mention his name on the show anymore, but the author who yes, right. stole from you. Yeah, yeah. So he came on my show. Did no. I tell you that? No. He well, came I on. Think you told me he was going. He was coming on afterwards. He was all right. But anyway, I'm gonna tell you why we don't like him. So he he was good, and I actually and I swear I'll send you the clip. Okay. I called Matt on oh. on your book. I had to. Yeah. So we finish up, and my girlfriend for my birthday, what she did uh, in my birthday was in October, and what she did was she contacted all the people who were on social media, like on Twitter and Instagram. I don't think you're not on either, right? Yeah. And she comments she's like, "Hey, do me a favor. I'm making Mike like this uh, video, and just do like a 20 second video, like, hey, Mike, happy birthday." So she had everyone on my show, yeah. like. Omar from The Wire and like just huh. old wrestlers like yeah. and she wrote to that author and the author's like Julia 
please. He, he's a grown man. He doesn't want to see that. But just tell him happy birthday. Like, what? Uh, even send the video. So now she's like no. anti. She's like, don't, don't interview <laughs> no. him. He's the worst. We don't like him. Give him one stars. <laughs> so I'm um, curious what happened. I don't know if you want to do it on the air when you called him out. You know, I, oh, we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah, so I said to him, I said, listen, I'm like, because um, we were talking about his books. Yeah. And I'm like, because uh, I enjoyed his books. Yeah, yeah. And I said, I'm like, listen, I'm like, I kind of feel... You uh, stole a little bit. He's like, from who? Yeah. I'm like, well, Harold checked. He's like, I didn't steal. He goes, and if you notice, in the back of the book, I gave him a lot of credit. Yeah. I said, I know. I said, but a lot of similarities yeah. from a lot of the research that he did. And I, oh, he's like, no. He played it. I wasn't going to start like a beef. Yeah, yeah. He's like, no, no, no. I gave him all the props. You know, he did yeah. a great job with his book. Yeah. You know, yeah. So he kind of just played right. it off that he, yeah, but he stole yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. shit. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, he definitely, definitely. Yeah, but it's in the, no one reads the, the last page of it and stuff. Yeah. Come on. No, you yeah. know that. I know that. So, <laughs> yeah. But but to give the devil his due, it's very true that he did did acknowledge <clears throat> that stuff. So. And whatever. But yeah. you coming on, I get so pumped up when you're coming on. And well, thank you, man. Whenever you want, first of all, I'm coming to your study soon. So that, Please, I'll show you pictures after the show. Yeah, no, I have to. I have to. So, <laughs> yeah. Mr. Schechter, thank you so much. Oh, Dr. Schechter, thank you for coming right. on, my friend. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks for having me again.